What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, welcome back to a Wednesday afternoon edition of the Chase Thomas podcast. I am the aforementioned Chase Thomas, and I am joined by David Birchberger up there in New York City of SNY. David, good afternoon, sir. How are you? Doing well. How about you, Chase? I'm good. I'm good. John Taylor of Manhattan and Fangraphs was on yesterday, and he I always give him shit about if you're in New York and you're a sports writer, you're actually in Brooklyn. I don't really care where you say you live. You're you're a Brooklyn boy. You're a Brooklyn blogger. Um, are you a Manhattanite or are you a Brooklyn person, Burtz? I'm actually in Queens. Oh, my favorite. This is great. I'm yeah. glad. I yeah. love Astoria. I think I know Zach Lowe's in Long Island City. I mm. think maybe a couple others in LIC, but... I'm not sure. I feel like 9 out of 10, you'd be correct if you just guessed Brooklyn because, you know, the writers, they probably can't afford the city. Brooklyn's the next best thing. So. <laughs> Interesting. Queens. I like it. I love Queens. That's my favorite part of New York. If I ever live in New York, it would be Queens. Um, very, very pro-Queens. So it's a nice town. Uh, a lot of good food. I mean, it's everywhere, obviously, but uh, it's on the come up now. You know, it's uh, as far as the borough power rankings go, Queens is definitely on the rise. It's on the rise, on the rise. Are you going to shout out? It's everything's hard right now for businesses. What is the your go your favorite Queens establishment food wise right now? Oh man, I uh, I, I don't want to speak out of turn because I'm a bit of a Queens noob. I'm new to Queens. Mm. You know, there are a lot of good places. Shouts BZ Grill. Um, Shouts Sachs Pizza, Sachs Place. Uh, if you want some good pizza, uh, shout to Storia Craft. Like, I got everyone go go buy food from those places. All right, there you go. I like it. I like it. Um, and also, if you're an Apple Podcast listener and you're listening to Verts and I talk on this very podcast on your Apple Podcast app, guess what? You should leave a five star rating and a review. It helps more than you. Know. Go to BlueWirePods.com and see all of the great podcasts that we have um, across the platform. Um, go check out chasehousepodcast.com where I'm writing every day. Uh, go read some great sports stuff, some Boy Meets World stuff. You never know what you're going to get over there. Um, I want to hop around the league, Verts. Um, I have so many notes. My, I, so One day, if I just get hit by a bus, Verts, and someone has to clean out my room, clean out my binders, and all they're going to find is just so many legal pads with... So much barely legible notes from all the sports stuff that I watch and read. It's insane. And I, I, I just need it. I don't know how you watch like NBA games. I don't know how you watch sporting events if you take notes all the time. But I'm very meticulous about it. I go back through it. It jogs my memory on certain things. I, I don't know. I just feel like I'm more engaged in what I'm watching when I'm taking notes. It's almost like in school. Um there was the people that took notes in their laptop. There were the people that stood like just uh, stared at the teacher and just absorbed everything over an hour. Those are called the uh, psychopaths. 
and then there are those that uh, take notes by hand. I was a take notes by hand person because I found I retained more that way. Um, I have something from the Lakers being the Bucks on January 22nd. And this was one of those where I was going through my notes and I watched this game. And you're like, oh my God. Like, LeBron, my in my notes, I just have like, he's really going for MVP this year. Like, that is, that is something I just took away from that. And he had a really dirty shot, which feels like forever ago with the turnaround. He, he's doing that. He's shooting really well this year. He took over in the fourth. Um, I just, he is so comfortable with this group now. And he's leading the team when Anthony Davis has had a really slow start. He broke out a little bit uh, in the last couple of days. But he has not been the kind of guy that we thought he was going to be coming out of, the, of this season. That it was going to be like LeBron resting a little bit because of how much he had to do in the bubble and AD doing more, it's been the opposite, and LeBron's had to do more, and LeBron is just murdering people, and I I did not see this coming, but him just killing people with Wesley Matthews, Kuzma, Marquise, and Montrezl, and a lot of these lineups, you're like, oh, LeBron's going for it. LeBron is, uh, he, he is not messing around, and uh, it's just, it's something I think a lot of people are going to take for granted this year, so if you have not already, folks... Please tune into LeBron in this year because he is, he is as the kids say, on one, Bert. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. He, he, he is on one, just just for some further context to what you're saying. Uh, he's shooting the most threes per game this year than he ever has in any year in his career, 6.6 threes a game, and he's shooting a career high, 41.2% from deep. Uh, he's shooting 49.7% from the field. That's not especially high compared to his prime, but basically that that's hovering around where his prime years percentages were at. Um, I think per 36 minutes, his counting stats go a little crazy. Yeah, per 36, he's averaging a cool 27, 8.8, and 8.1 uh, points, rebounds, assists. So, yeah, I mean, I guess LeBron's prime is just going to be, I don't know, maybe, maybe this is sort of Tom Brady thing where he's just going to keep doing this till he's 40. Uh, he just no signs of slowing down right now. Even his free throw percentage is, is above 70, so looking a lot better. Yeah, I mean, this is not much else you can say about the guy. He's, he's really one of a kind. I mean, he's the MVP this year, right? Like, this, I don't know how you don't give it to him this year if he keeps this up. I'm hearing a lot of different names. I feel like it's still kind of early, and there's a lot of teams sort of hovering in that, you know, I could they can end up as a, as a third seed or all the way out of the playoffs. And so people want to give guys on those teams, you know, some of, some of their due. Uh, but... You know, Lakers sitting with the best record in the league, I believe, and LeBron's the best player on that team. So that's a pretty thorough argument for MVP. But for some reason, that's just an award that I don't know. Voters seem to like to give to somebody else, you know, or else if it was a true best player in the league awards, you would have to think LeBron would own it for basically every year. Yeah. Um, KCP. We haven't talked about him with the Lakers, and I wanted to mention him. He's shooting 56 like this as of uh, my notes from a couple days ago. He was shooting 56.8% from three. He's probably still somewhere around there. Um, 
That's only second in the NBA behind Seth Curry, who's just sh- like shooting fifty percent. I want to say, like some uh, something bonkers uh, from three in Philly. But um, yeah, what watching these Lakers games, KCP man, it he's at another level and he's so comfortable. The continuity with KCP, LeBron, and AD is just paramount and i've just been blown away by what i've seen from kcp this year and he's confident man he he still was getting through it last year it didn't seem like he knew that he was going to be a part of this lakers group long term but now that he got the contract and now that he's comfortable with clutch and everything it's like oh kcp he's uh he's very comfortable in los angeles and he's getting so many good looks and he's he's knocking them down yeah i thought after that bubble run last year you know he, he looked like he finally got comfortable and he was finally filling in his role. And, you know, I got to eat crow uh, on him because uh, I didn't think he'd develop into such a potent three and D guy. Um, but I'll sort of flip the conversation a little bit because coming into the season, you know, you look at the Lakers roster who outside of KCP is going to be a really dependable three and D wing to put next to LeBron and AD. And I say wing, Caruso 6'4", Wesley Matthews listed as 6'4", Taylor Horton Tucker 6'4", and even those three that I mentioned, you know, uh, Caruso's shooting might not be as you know as consistent as you wanted or his defense against bigger guys. You know, THT is still unproven. Wesley Matthews is just sort of on the downturn of his career. So I feel like KCP, like coming in and especially now the way he's playing, he's really like that one guy that they have that's like, okay, we can depend on you if we need to throw you in. To a, to a crunch time lineup in the playoffs as a 3 and D guy, we, we trust you too. I, I don't know if they have a whole lot of options there. And if he, if he gets hurt, that, I feel like that's a, that's a weakness for him. Yeah, for sure. But he seems pretty healthy. He hasn't really had problems with injuries, has he? I don't think so. I think he had something earlier this season, maybe a small thing where he was... Yeah, uh, it he's never had anything major, knock on wood. Back in. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's one of those for, for bringing that, uh, that scenario up. But, um, yeah, he's... Uh, Play super well. I mean, the shots really come along, and you know if you can keep it up, it's uh, will be a big boon to the Lakers. John Morant and the Grizzlies, um, obviously having a lot of trouble with Jaron Jackson out, uh, injury issues, COVID issues, uh, but the future is looking up. And uh, Kevin O'Connor of the Ringer has a really good YouTube show called The Void that I highly encourage everybody to check out. But he did one a couple days ago on. John Morant, the Grizzlies, building the next great contender. And he was highlighting a lot of the differences with Jaw versus Zion, and Zion taking a lot of stuff off defensively, and Jaw being a lot farther ahead of him. And Jaw, like, yeah, he's being a scorer, but he also just makes all these winning plays, and he highlighted some of those that he does. And then, you know, Jaron Jackson, I'm a huge, huge Jaron Jackson guy, and I can't wait to have him back. But uh, Brandon Clark is like the perfect pick and roll partner, and he's such a great defender. He's such a great finisher. He's at, he has a really really great floater um, that he's mastered. He's like one of the top five in the league and getting those off at a high clip. Um, and they just have a lot of smart players around him, like the Dylan Brooks of the world, who you and I I think have talked about. Um, it, it, we don't like him at a high usage, <laughs> but I guess he's fine in the fourth or fifth uh, area of the totem pole. But um, they're gonna miss the playoffs this year. I, I feel pretty comfortable saying that they are going to keep acquiring more talent on that front. And, you know, Taylor Jenkins is getting a lot out of them. And it's interesting because I don't know if I'm still there where I would put John ja Morant as the kind of player where he's going to be the best player on a contender. I think 
it's possible it, it's possible but i don't think i'm there so i think it's interesting that he has them as the next great contender so i guess in terms it 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 depends on what you define as contender as in like western conference finalist western conference semifinalist like they can get there because he's still in that donovan mitchell zone for me where it's like i need to see it before i put him in the situation where i'm like yeah this dude could eventually go at the Kawhis and the paul georges and the um the james hardens and those kind of players i i just i'm not there with him and i'm not there with that group yet i think they have a collection of great talent i'm just I'm not as optimistic as KOC is. That's fair. Uh, the group thing is is a big question because do they go the route of sort of an Atlanta or New York where, yeah, we have this young core, we want to develop them, but at some point, you know, we need to turn it into wins. Let's get these veterans over here to try and make that happen. Uh, I don't know if they had a real chance this past offseason. I'd have to go back and, and do a little – do a little digging but uh, you know that's a big question going forward for them is is their group going to be good enough to just be a contender off those guys like how many of those guys turn into a legitimate all-star right john morant we know jaron jackson sure yeah i mean that, that's fair to say you could easily turn into an all-star what about the rest of the team you know who's the next man up that you think sure this guy will be an all-star maybe be a good role player you know but those get expensive when they're young nowadays yep. so you know, when a, when a Bernie Clark everybody. contract comes up, can't keep everybody. The Hawks yeah, are about the, to deal with tough this. Decisions. Yeah. Yeah, tough decisions have to be made. Um, I'm going to push back on the John Moran thing, though. I think he's about, a, you know, for a second-year guy, I'm not sure I could be more sure of a person being a, a future star. Um I'm not saying he's not going to be a star. Those are two very different things. You can be a star and still not be a contender star. Best player on a championship team. Yeah, I don't think... Best player on a championship team. Yes, there you go. And I don't think that's where I'm at with him yet, no. I understand wanting to see it. To me, he's got... I mean, and I don't think you would argue with it, that he has what it takes to be that. I'd be shocked if he doesn't end up as that. Maybe he doesn't end up winning a ring. You know, maybe whatever circumstances end up on a crappy team, who knows? But I think he can absolutely be that guy. I died. I don't know the playmate. The thing he, the thing he does on the court, like, I feel like his creativity is on is on a different level. And just I don't know how many first second year guys I see running the point at this level. The reads he makes, the sort of understanding, the IQ. Uh, yeah, I I I I'd wager a good bit of money on him. Uh, on him being in that echelon of, of top guy on the championship team. Interesting. I um, I don't know. And it's also like not going to come down to Morant, I don't think. Because you kind of mentioned the the guys around them. It's like if it's going to be a contender, like we won't be able to see it. Because the Grizzlies aren't going to attract high price free agents. Like that's not happening. So they have to bet on their development. And it depends. They need some luck. Like, they need some luck. That's kind of the reason that they are looking out with the Jackson injury and the stuff that's going on this year is that they they should be too good to still be in the lottery, but they're probably going to slip into the lottery again and take another opportunity, another swing at another potential star five years from now. Um, That makes the timelines a little weird with this group, but I... I'm curious to see what they do because, like, if you don't forecast Jaron Jackson as a top 10 player, and I don't, if you don't forecast Brandon Clark, if you don't forecast the rest of these guys around them, um, then guess what? 
they're not winning a title and they're not real contenders because John Morant's not enough. Like we know that you need more than one and it's already hard enough to hit on one superstar and the Grizzlies deserve credit for hitting on one and developing Jod to what he is now and also really developing Jaron Jackson to be what he is now. But they, I mean, obviously trades are always a possibility, but until we see that with Memphis, <laughs> I'm not going to bet on that either. So I, I think it's interesting. I think they're going to be fun. I think they're going to be a team kind of like Denver where they're going to come around and they just have a bunch of smart, fun young players. But I don't think they're real contenders, and I don't think they're going to get into that zone. So it just—I would adjust expectations if you're a Grizzlies fan, like kind of like the grit and grind thing, where it's like we knew it was never going to win a title, but it was just sustainably fun for a decade. And I think that's where I'm at with this group: is that they're not contenders. I don't think they have a path to having two top ten players um, on the same team um, in the next three to five years. But yeah, could be wrong. Is it, is it weird that I want to, because I don't think he was in the video. I'd have to, uh, I don't know when I watched it, but, you know, is, is Justin Winslow, is it bad that I'm considering him somewhat of an X factor here? Like, he's not going to be a top 10 player. Has but he played more than 40 games back, in five years? Uh, probably not. Yeah. Probably not. I, I like man, Justin I really Winslow. Like that dude college. is just like, he is, the injury stuff with him, I, I don't think so. I, I can't do that. Yeah. I like him in the league. He even had a couple of years where he was shooting well from deep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like Winslow. Yeah. You hope, he, just... hope he gets back healthy. Yeah. I, I, I have my doubts about that one. Verts. Um, Shaq went after <laughs> Donovan Mitchell on Inside the NBA. Um, really one of the weirdest interviews. Of, and we, couldn't, we can't really call that an interview. Like, just a weird attack on Donovan Mitchell and seeing how he responded and um, Ben Goliver on the GOAT podcast talked about this a little bit, and I thought this was a fascinating perspective, is that Shaq, his upbringing, like his military mentor, um, played a big role in his life, and Shaq just sees everything through the prism of championships or you're irrelevant. And he's harder on people than I guess other people are, but like, I just think it's weird. And I do think NBA Twitter gets way, way too up in arms about what inside the NBA does and what they say to these young stars of like, Oh, you're killing the game. Like no other league is this hard. And I'm like, yeah, but like none of that matters. No one's sitting at home and going, you know what? I was going to give the NBA a chance, but because of this, I'm out. Like that doesn't happen. <laughs> and people just, it's one of the reasons I just avoid Twitter altogether. Cause it's very cringy when people go over the top with this stuff. And look, I think Shaq was a sure. dick with like that whole perspective there. Like I, there's no need for that. Like I, I don't understand even the process behind that, but at the same time, man, it's just, who cares? Like he's, it's just entertainment. Like he's not David Aldridge asking Donovan Mitchell something. It's Shaquille O'Neal. And I don't think it really matters in the grand scheme of things. And I don't think it hurts the game. Like I, what, what do you make of all of that? So I think the frustrating thing there, and it frustrated me is because it, you know, the sport, I feel like, for those that really, really like it, is in a really good place when you look at the talent and how it's dispersed and how much of it there is. Like, like Donovan Mitchell is, a, what, top 20, 30 player in the league? Yeah. For whatever, wherever you put it, right? And he, he's not one of the he, – he's a bigger young name, but he's not in the upper echelon of young names. You put it with the, with the Lukas and the Jokic and even, like, you know, Giannis and Anthony Davis are still, are still just nearing their primes. And so, like, someone like Donovan Mitchell, like, 
I, I get excited knowing that if I tune into a Utah Jazz game, I could see Donovan Mitchell. You can tune into nearly any team and see someone awesome play. So when you go and talk to casual sports fans, and uh, I'm not watching the NBA as much, you know, I'm not really into more to call or whatever for whatever their reasons. I feel like, yeah, they tune into a TNT game and they just hear Shaq bashing Donovan Mitchell. It's like, why, why would you want to watch? Like, this guy's so awesome to watch. And you have, you know, one of the biggest NBA personalities just being like, yeah, I don't really think you're, I forgot what he even said. It, I, get that, I understand why that's frustrating. And that, and that did frustrate me. Um, it's just stupid. It's just silly. Why did he have to say it? I don't understand. Like, I, I understand, like, not wanting to make a, a big deal, a bigger deal of it than it is. But, like, why, what, what is, to justify why say that i don't know it's it's baffling to me um yeah i think it's a big waste of everyone's time i think it's, it's i just, just don't annoying. care just there's real things to get annoyed about and i'm just and i watch it and i'm like eh, that was weird he shouldn't have done that next thing like i just move on that that was weird Fair. but the people who were getting more upset what i noticed was people like you and i Bert, like the people who watch the nba every night like that those are the people who are still going to tune in tomorrow are the ones upset. Like no one who is a casual NBA person or just watches on Thursdays if it's on in the background goes, man, I would have, uh, would have watched the NBA more this season, but, uh, Shaq just confirmed. I can go ahead and skip watching the jazz. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I would just so much rather talk about, you know, yeah, the the NCAA, just the for us. It's not a program for us at all. Yeah. Which is that's fine. Fair. That's fair. And it's why I don't really get all up in arms. I don't really care what Charles Barkley and Shaquille O'Neal really have to say about a lot of stuff. I, I don't I don't care. Like, it's fine. <laughs> it's fine. Um, yeah. See, speaking of things that are not fine, Verts, the New Orleans Pelicans are just, they're really going through it right now. We have the new Shams report that uh, Lonzo and JJ um, might be on the block. David Griffin reportedly um, open to trading both of those guys um, in the not too distant future. Nikhil Alexander Walker has looked pretty good in limited minutes, so and they really need him in the fold just with his shooting and what he brings to the offense because Eric Bledsoe and Lonzo Ball does not work as a backcourt combination. Um, I I'm not surprised this is going as poorly as it did because I saw a lot of people penciling in the Pelicans like a six, seven, eight team this year, and I did not buy it. I said they were not a playoff team before the season started. Um, did not like this collection of assets. I did, I thought this was bad. I thought the Stephen Adams, Zion, Ingram stuff was going to be clunky. Just running a 2021 NBA offense with Bledsoe and Ball together is insanity to me. But um, at uh, as of January 22nd, they were one and seven in their last eight. They really have been going through it. The offense sucks. Um, Zion doesn't play defense, and they need to make some moves. They need to move some pieces around. I don't think they're headed for disaster, but I also just think they have a lot of moves to make and they have to work around this roster. What do you, what do you make of ball and Reddick and what's happened to the Pelicans this year? I mean, ball seems like the first one to go. Um, Reddick, obviously not playing as well as he, as he should be. I think that's a guy that you sort of want there for the spacing. You know, you don't have a great deal of shooting on the team. So if you can have the shooter, you know, you might as well keep them unless there's, there's a package out there for them. Um, I, I think it kind of goes back to the existential question that we have with Atlanta, with Memphis, with, you know, I'm going to keep throwing New York in here because you know, I want to, I want to, I want to, why are you throwing New York in here? Can you get one young player before you uh, throw yourself in there? I, it, 
It's his name, Emmanuel Quickly. Chase. Okay. okay, I love Emmanuel Quickly. He went like what? One for eleven last night. When he's the best point guard in the league. Oh, that's you'll right. Remember this podcast, mm-hmm. okay? Mm-hmm. All right. <laughs> but yeah, the accidental question is, you know, how do you sort of blend this rebuilding, amazing young team with the veterans that you need to actually win? And you know, do you just sort of wait and and let the young guys sort of fit into themselves and maybe you have that as your sort of core or, you know, you bring in Steven Adams, you bring in Eric Bledsoe. And I feel like it might've been a little too early for this team, especially with these pieces. I feel like, man, Steven Adams is only 27. That's surprising. I thought he was older, but you know, an Eric Bledsoe and Steven Adams might be a little better if Ingram and Williamson and these guys were a a little more down the line in their careers, maybe more approaching their, their primes. Then you could have a, a solid playoff contender Right now, they're probably still developing. I mean, Williamson, you see it on defense, just not there right now. Um, saw it last year as well. So I think they're going to have to answer that. So if they trade Lonzo, which I think they kind of have to do anyway, even though he's a young piece because it's just a, a bad fit there at the guard spot, especially with Bledsoe. Um, if you trade Lonzo, it's presumably for, for some more vets, right, some some contributors. So they might push more in that direction. Um or you could try and dump Bledsoe and try and build around the young guys potentially and just be like, look, we're not, we're not ready to win against this crazy Western Conference yet. Um, there's a middle path where you just trade Lonzo, get a couple vets, and then maybe try and slide Josh Harden, get him some more minutes. Uh, it's tough. It's also still somewhat early. I, I think it's still something this team can turn around. It, it is a relatively... Uh, changed roster from last year so trying to give them some benefit of, benefit of the doubt there yeah i think lonzo actually would help a lot of peeps was, um i think sharks the ringer and i were talking about this um who would you guess is his number one nba comp to this point lonzo? production wise yeah like a weird rondo type uh, Tomas Sadaransky. <laughs> yeah, I mean, which is not a bad player. He's just a. If you take away the lottery stuff, if you take away the name, Lonzo is a third guard. He is someone that should run the second unit. He's someone that can keep the offense afloat. He's someone that's just never going to be a big time scorer. He's never going to have the shot, but he tries really hard on defense. He can do some stuff inside, and he just he's he's a smart basketball player, good defender. Like, he should be a third guard on a good team. And I don't know where that... I, like, my suggestion to Chark last week was Orlando. Because losing Markel Fultz, they're just falling off a cliff. Like, they're out of the playoffs if they don't trade for a point guard and really do something there. Um, ball there would be interesting. I, I don't know um, if there's a lot of other ones that really stand out to me. Um I, I'll take him over Alfred Payton. I'll happily take him over Alfred Payton. They can have Dennis ooh, Smith Jr. Yeah, I don't like that. I, happily take him over. Uh, happily take him over Alfred Payton. I think most people think yeah, Alfred Payton is just, but yeah, <laughs> Alfred Payton's just a whole different podcast. I also wouldn't hate him in Atlanta. Like a Kevin Herter for Lonzo swap would not be the worst thing. That's interesting. Chris Dunn yeah. being out because I don't know what his future too. is. Like you sign Chris Dunn and understand that, but like he's he's hurt and I don't I don't know what uh, his season looks like. But I would not hate Lonzo being a third guard, third or fourth guard, and actually learning from Rondo. Those two working together. I don't know. I just think you can never have too many smart 
guards and ball handlers and guys who just know how to play basketball and i think he's one of them uh jj is just he's gonna go to like the lakers or something like that is my prediction is jj's just gonna end up annoying like that yeah it that is something i'm gonna just go ahead and say he's gonna end up on the lakers or maybe the bucks um i'm sure daryl moore would love to have him back in uh philly but i don't really know what philly would give up for that but we we shall see um speaking of philly Embiid made history on the 23rd against the Pistons. He recorded his 50th 30-point, 10-rebound game, becoming the second quickest to reach that mark behind only Donovan Mitchell, friend of the podcast, and, uh, you know, I and Shaq, and, which is amazing that those two work together in this stat. But Embiid has been, if we're not going to put out um, LeBron as the MVP favorite early on, I guess we'll say LeBron is the MVP favorite in the West. In the East, I think it's Joel Embiid, right? Yeah, it's probably a fair bet. Uh, he, he's a name I definitely saw brought up a ton. Um, yeah, he's been a beast. I mean, he could just take over games. I think the problem's always been just can he do it consistently in the playoffs? And, and we've definitely seen it for stretches. We, we've seen big games from him in big in big spots. Uh, it's just never really come together for Philly. Uh, but the team looks really solid now. Um, I, I think this could be could be the year for them if. If things break right, Tyrese Maxey uh, coming out coming out as a rookie of the year favorite has definitely has definitely helped. But yeah, Embiid's just a beast. I, I mean, there's not much you can do about it. He's he's got the craziest tools you, you could ever find on a on a seven foot guy with his bulk. It's it's ridiculous. Um, just bodying dudes into a little eight foot fadeaway like it's no problem. It, yeah, he's, he's super fun to watch. Put him second behind LeBron. See if you need to watch a guy this season, LeBron then Joel Embiid, for sure. And also Ben Simmons' defense, who just oh, he does some on-ball stuff that just it's ridiculous. Yeah, the number scoring numbers are down, but that dude is working his ass off to win Defensive Player of the Year. Like that guy is my leader in the clubhouse for Defensive Player of the Year. Ben Simmons is just a, ridiculous on that end of the floor. Um, what did you make of Chark's piece on Giannis becoming Anthony Davis? What really stood out to me was when he was talking about how Giannis should be building his game from inside out, yes. not outside in. Giannis is just sort of working, you know, trying to get that three-point shot down. But earlier in his career, I remember he really liked that those little mid-range fadeaways, those post fadeaways inside. Mm-hmm. I feel like the development curve on that just sort of plateaued and even went down. Like, you don't see him doing it as much, and it's not become a super efficient weapon. I feel like if he if he took that to heart and started being able to work that mid-range area, that in-between area, and get really good there, I mean, so he's so big and tall and just leaps. Like, I feel like that would be huge for him, even more than a three-point shot maybe, because once you put the ball in his hands, it, it, it's just golden from there. Um, that that part really stood out to me. I think that'd be a, a very positive thing in his development. The three point shot just doesn't seem to be doesn't seem to be working out the way he hoped. Um, and yeah, I, I like the comp. I mean, to me, it seems Giannis would be a little better, sort of moved up a few positions, sort of where Anthony Davis plays. But it, it's the sort of comp that's also we're seeing how Anthony Davis is playing now with LeBron, you sort of compare uh, Davis on the Pelicans with Giannis on the Bucks. you know, not having that co-star, though granted Giannis has some, some, some very solid supporting cast now. Um, I don't know. I feel like they, they played 
uh, kind of differently, but a lot of the skills overlap for sure. Um, you have to think if Giannis sort of takes a different approach to the game, what that might do for him and his team. Yeah, I I thought that was great, and it seems like that is where he needs to be is the shack of this generation, and those AD floaters are just unstoppable because of how big he is and just what he makes these elbow plays. It's just it's really hard to stop once he gets going, and Giannis should just do that and just move on because I didn't realize how much his free throws numbers were dropping, and like there are some there's some gifts this season of teams just really being disrespectful with Giannis and. Um, from deep and understandably so yeah and it's just not going to happen probably so instead of just wasting possessions on Giannis taking these threes just like Chark's laid out and what you laid out is just no do this inside draw fouls and uh, uh, be realistic about who Giannis is at this point because that's still an all-time great player Um, the hottest team arguably in the NBA right now is the Utah Jazz they won nine straight. Uh, they beat your Knicks last night. What did uh, What did you see from the Jazz and their three-point arsenals? Because they're averaging like 16.8 made threes per game, which is like the most prolific three-point shooting team in NBA history if they keep this up. Um, they're hitting 20-plus threes in multiple games this season. They're, they're just they're killing it. So uh, what, do you, what do you make of the Jazz and what did you see last night? I think the three-point shooting is, is, is a little funny because you kind of it's a surprise with how well they're shooting just because of past performances and where their offenses have gone out to sluggish starts throughout the years and the playoffs suddenly they would just disappear um but now it actually seems like they're they're shooting to their potential because you look at the roster joe ingles boyan bogdanovich donovan mitchell mike conley you know royce o'neill granted royce o'neill he's shooting 45 percent from three just absolutely scorching it you know Jordan Clarkson also 39% from three. You got to love that. Uh, the roster's just stacked with shooters. And I feel like they're finally getting into a rhythm. You know, it's whether they can sustain it is the question. Um, you know, the usual defensive stuff you saw last night. I mean, the Jazz are just a really sound team that's been together for a few years. So I think that's going to help them a lot this year, just having that chemistry. Uh, whether that's what's really, you know, playing into this, boosted offense now is the question you know whether it's something else just some lucky streak of shooting but yeah i mean as usual they're just going to be a really really strong west team as to whether they'll actually you know defeat a clip or defeat a lakers to to get to the conference finals or get to the finals still too early to tell still too early to tell but they're they're a fun team to watch man i mean donovan mitchell's a stud um he hasn't been super prolific this year but he's still working at it and there's a lot of solid vet guys that you like to watch. Yeah, they're just smart. They play eight or nine guys that all just play well. Royce O'Neal shooting like 47% from three. Clarkson's really found a niche there as their sixth man. Um, having Bowie on back is just everything for them. Like, he is just lights out. Losing him in the bubble last year was brutal for them. And Conley just playing out of his mind this year. He's comfortable. Just turns out con- this is a good season for continuity. Lakers, Jazz, Nuggets figuring it out. Clippers, another season with their their big two. You look at it, the Bucks, the Sixers, like the continuity teams are the teams that are really running through um, teams, it seems like. Um, there's a piece on The Athletic by Ethan Strauss about Kevon Looney. And like, I've watched a lot of Warriors this year, mostly just for Steph and seeing what he does and just how crazy it is 
to see what he's doing. Um, this is a two-parter. The Warriors looking to perhaps move Kelly Oubre. Um, he probably belongs in the six-man role. So they're still trying to figure it out because their starting lineup has been terrible this year. Like the starting five has just been outscored this year and it's a problem. And Kevon Looney got inserted into the starting lineup this week uh, for Golden State and James Wiseman went to the bench, which is an interesting development because you don't, you got to be careful with these young guys and their confidence. And it's working. And Kevon Looney just being like a film savant that uh, Strauss laid out in the piece was fascinating to me because he's just so smart. He doesn't look, do anything well. And I was like, oh, this is just like David West. Like, he's just like young David West to me, where it's like, I don't really know what David West does well, but it's just the plus minus is always going to be good for him. Um, are you a Kevon Looney guy, and are you okay with Kerr pulling Wiseman for Kevon Looney? And I was really heavily watching the Warriors earlier this season, but then, like, last couple weeks sort of teetered off. So now I feel, feel like I missed this whole Kevon Looney uh, rising, like, <laughs> maybe, you know, maybe about GameStop stock. I don't know. But, yeah, I mean, I understand benching Wiseman, and Curry said a great thing the other night where he was like, I got benched for AC Law. Like, you know, you, you got to get over these humps and it's part of the process. Don't let it get you down, whatever. Um, I, I get it. I mean, whatever it takes to win, maybe both will be better in their in their current roles. Uh, I try not to question Steve Kerr too much because I usually end up looking silly. Um yeah, it, to, to me, I didn't have huge expectations on the Warriors this year. So shaking it up, you know, in hopes of winning, okay, whatever. I think it's about the future for them. And, and I, I think you, if you're a Warriors fan, you're really happy about Wiseman and how he's looked so far. Like, he's raw for sure. Definitely a lot to work on. But just the ethic and just the willingness to learn, and you could sort of see the game-to-game improvements, just small things where – yeah, he bites on an up fake on this guy in the first quarter, and in the fourth quarter, he's like staying on his feet a lot better. Um, yeah, Kevon Looney, I don't know. I'll have to check it out. Uh, but I'm a big fan of Wiseman. Uh, I think Kerr's, you know, doing what he has to do. But, yeah, the Warriors, uh, Warriors are a fun watch, man. They're a fun watch. They are. They are. I, um, I enjoy it, and I enjoy seeing Steph play this way. Um, the Wizards lost again last night. John Wall beating his former team, Bradley Beal looking somber, uh, Russell Westbrook looking cooked. Um, Scott Brooks, I hope you're running. Like, it seems like that's it for, for Scott Brooks this year in Washington. But when I look at this roster, and you look at the rotation that they were running out outside of Beal and, uh, and Westbrook, dude, they're making up names in D.C. this year. They are making up basketball players that are playing, like Thomas Bryant obviously being lost for the season, but like, oh my God. Like they're not supposed to win any of these games. Yeah, they're like three and eleven, but the Wizards rotation is god awful. What is Scott Brooks supposed to do? This team sucks. Everything sucks around them. Like Tommy Shepard, we'll see what he does as GM. But like, when I see stuff like this, I'm like, do y'all see what the rotation is in DC? Do y'all see what's happening here? Like, no one's winning with that. Yeah, it's 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 pretty abysmal. And granted, injuries have played a big part. Um, yeah, it's it's. It's rough. You have to wonder if Beal's going to be the next to go, and they just try and just just burn this down and and start anew. And, and it's another one where it's like outside of their two big, you know, Beal and Westbrook, the next guys on the minutes list for them: Rui Hachimura, twenty-two; Thomas Bryant, twenty-three; Davis Bertans. Okay, then you have the uh, twenty years old Jerome Robinson, twenty-three years old. So it's like this is a young team. 
this is a young team, and and I understand that they, you know, when you have Beal and Westbrook, you're you're trying to make the playoffs, and it it should be possible if you have the right help around you. Um, but man, they I, I think they should just consider the full rebuild at this point. I think they don't have a choice. Um, uh, unless you're just willing to wait and hope Beal sticks around for all these guys to develop. And Thomas Bryant was, he must have been saving their season because, man, I would tune in to every Wizards game. It felt like he was dominating. He was the core. He was like the, the Draymond Green, the anchor, the sort of energy, the, the, I don't know, the source of the team. It felt like he was the only alive basketball player on that roster. And and with him gone, it's it's just so tough to make up. I like Denny though. I really like Denny going forward for them. I, I, I'm trying to be positive about the, their future prospects because their present ones are just it's rough. Yeah, uh, it it's terrible. Let let me just give you their starting lineup outside of Westbrook and Beal last night. Robin Lopez, Isaac Bonga, and someone named Anthony Gill. Like, they're not winning. Yeah. This roster sucks. This roster is terrible. NATO, Jordan Bell played like 15 minutes for them last night. They signed Alex Lynn off the street because they just need bodies. Like, yeah, Scott Brooks is going to get fired. Yes, the Wizards suck. Yes, they need to rebuild. But, like, no one's winning with this group. And, you know, now I'm excited because I really want to see where Bradley Beal ends up um, because it does seem increasingly likely that uh, they are going to let him go and uh, do a teardown, as they, they really should because there's really no path to them getting to – relevancy with this group um and they really do need to do a full teardown i think um by trading Beal, but they're stuck with westbrook for a couple of years so that should be interesting um last thing and we'll uh we'll wrap up here so obviously lana i had to watch i watched all the hawks and I'm not going to talk about last night which the, the the just the happiness from trey winning uh against uh a, a Kawhi and Paul George's Clippers team and yeah it's like a the dagger three that he hit from the center and obviously that was a great thing and a great callback to Kobe and Kobe meant a lot to him and that all was great <laughs> but it was like not a big win like it's not that the Clippers were playing nobody Pat Bev was also out like this was not a not a big one this was a yes you win you have everybody back you should beat the Clippers at home um I think the Timberwolves are the worst team in the NBA I've never seen uh, like my notes on Clipper or on uh, Timberwolves Hawks was bonkers. Like Trey went off, he had some crazy shots, and people really overreact when Trey has those flamethrower games from three because it's like, well, no, yeah, he has it in him to be to go hot, to get hot, and shoot really well from three for a couple game stretch. But he's also very hit or miss from deep. He's not a good shooter. He's he's an okay shooter. He's a streaky shooter. Um, DeAndre Hunter. Just he faded in and out. Uh, Cam looked great. I'm um, leading the second unit. Capella and Collins will not work. Like that is something that's just not going to work. Capella was a monster. Had like ten blocks. He blocked Anthony Edwards at the rim like three different times in this game. But I'm watching the the Wolves and I'm like, D'Angelo Russell's not an NBA player. Like I think he's out of the league. He there's no reason to play D'Angelo Russell. Like he, if he was my, on my team at this point at his age, I would just be losing my absolute mind. Like, I, I can't do it. Like, he is so bad. He doesn't do anything. When his shot is not falling, he'll take some terrible long twos. Like, the Wiggins trade, the Wol- I cannot believe the Warriors won the Wiggins trade to the extent that they have. And I 
am just so out on him. And I understand Towns is not there, but like Reed was playing pretty well. And Reed's a really good big for uh, for the Wolves. But their best player is Malik Beasley. Like he's having to do everything in, for the Wolves. And Ricky Rubio struggles because he's just trying to find guys and they, nobody wants to shoot. And it's it's all terrible. And I cannot believe the Wolves are as bad as they are. Even without Towns, like this team sucks. They're in the running with Detroit and Washington. Um, once you remove Towns, it gets it gets pretty bad. D'Lo is a tough one for me because I watched him the most when he was on the Nets, and I watched him a lot. And, and then, and even before that, I thought he he, he was going to be like an All Star and like a top tier point guard in the league. And after the Nets, I was that that belief was reinforced. I was like, all right, this guy's clearly the best player on the playoff team. You know, like clearly a future stud. And then, like, the Warriors and Timberwolves years just happened. And I wasn't watching him as much because he's on the West Coast where, you know, games started, godforsaken time for me <laughs> over here. Mm-hmm. So, so I haven't had a, a whole lot of chance to see him. You know, I know the efficiency's taken taken a dive. Yeah, he's shooting 40% from three, you know, seven and a half attempts a game. That's good. You know, per 36, I think his, his, his averages are 24 and six. You know, that, that that's good. I guess it's not it's not gonna it's not gonna turn into much winning in the West when your next best players are Beasley and and Nas Reed and Jared Culver's quietly quietly a nice. He doesn't do guy, like but. he doesn't start. He doesn't really like he had he had some moments. He had some flashes. I don't really understand what's going on there with Culver. I don't understand why he doesn't start or why they don't play him more. But he looked okay. I feel like if he were on a different team, we'd be having different discussions with Jared Culver. Um, but yeah, the, the, this team, the team is another. I guess it's another one of those because they tried to, you know, give Towns his boy in, in Russell, and you think, all right, you have one star in Towns, you have Russell who's all star esque, you know. Maybe this is maybe this is a team that can contend someone. You put some, you have some young guys around him. You have Ricky Rubio, the veteran, playmaking for everyone. The nice thought, and and I think logically it it holds somewhat but once towns is out i think the whole thing just falls apart especially if it seems really lacking in big men yeah but we'll we'll see what happens there who who gets fired first ryan saunders or uh scotty brooks but i'm gonna guess it's one two and they probably both should lose their jobs this year unfortunately um all right bert is there anything you would like to plug uh at smy or anywhere else before we wrap up here today yeah, just been just been covering my Knicks over at SNY, you know, through the ups and downs. RJ Barrett, trade, 40 minutes, baby. Up. RJ Barrett has been super good the past 10 games. Super good. And I want all the Tyler Hero people <laughs> and all the bus people to go take a heaping plate of crow and, and enjoy your lunch for now until RJ goes like 0 for 10 for the next five games. Then, then we'll talk. <laughs> absolutely absolutely well for that guy up there in queens new york david Wurzberger, for myself down here in knoxville tennessee that is all i've got david thank you so much for the time as always good sir and uh we will talk again soon yes sir have a good one thanks for having me nicely done nephew Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. 
legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history, relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.